Good morning, everybody. It's great to be in New Zealand, and it's even better to be in Pukki. That's the way you say it. I asked the question, I said, are these guys friendly up here? And, and they said, yeah. So of all the people I've met, you guys are the most super friendly people. The problem is, I feel so out of it with everybody in these Dream Team t-shirts. I feel like I'm an honorary member of the Dream Team, so I've managed to get myself a t-shirt here. I'm going to be taking this t-shirt home. I'm going to be wearing it in my church. There we go. I'm going to be a member of the Dream Team. So it's amazing to be with you this morning. It's uh, just a privilege to be here and to um, be with Daryl and Denise and all the amazing team here. And I had the wonderful honor of going to your new building. Wow. I put my sleeping bag down. You've now got a squatter. I will be staying there. I've signed my name on the wall. We're not allowed to be jealous, but that is an amazing facility. And you guys are poised to just go bang when you move into that facility. I think God is going to bless you. So why don't you give God a round of applause for that amazing facility and all the hard work that's going on there. Well, well, who am I? Well, I'm married to Michelle. I have two young boys. I've got a 14-year-old boy called Luke, and he is driving me mad at the moment. He's like got an opinion on everything. He's bigger than me. And uh, I've got a 10-year-old boy who is uh, just a wonderful, sweet boy. We're holding him back from puberty. We're keeping away from all that so that he doesn't change. And I lead a church called Living Waters Church on the outskirts of Manchester, say 15 miles out from the city center in Manchester in the suburbs. I've been there for nine years as the senior pastor. And I took over the church that my father planted uh, 27 years ago. And we've just, yeah, so we're just... We're just on the, on, the, on the verge of going into multi-site. We planted our first uh, campus four months ago, and uh, we're seeing God just do amazing things. We've planted from the town back into the city, which is a complete role reversal. And so we're believing that God is going to give us the, the energy and the passion and everything, the skills needed to just go and take that city for the Lord. And this morning, I want to bring you a message called Ever Decreasing Circles. And uh, we'll get to that in just a moment, but something very uh, strange happened this morning. Pastor Darrell walked through. I looked at Pastor Darrell. I thought, he is the coolest pastor in town. He's got the tan shoes with the, with the, with the black skinny jeans, but one problem. Your tan shoe has got a scuff on the left shoe. I know, he scuffed his shoe in the, in the first few moments of having that shoe. So, so it's just amazing to be with you guys. And I think you've got the best pastors, so why don't you honor your... Your lead pastors here this morning. Have you ever walked into a room, and when you walk into that room, there's somebody that just holds a kind of persona and an atmosphere, and they change the flavor of the room? You know what I mean. They could be the amazing extrovert that is energetic and everybody's gathered around them. They could be that, that person that is bitter and negative, sat in the corner, muttering and moaning about life. And they just change the atmosphere of the room. Do you know what I mean, don't you? You've got none of those people in your family. And there's none of those people in your church. But out in the real world, there are people that just change the atmosphere of a place. I want to speak to you this morning about when the presence of God is in the room, how the atmosphere changes. And I'll tell you, I've never been here before. This is my first time in New Zealand, but the presence of God is in this room. And since then, when I walk through the door, you come into worship, you guys are on an amazing journey. And buildings and numbers and growth and outreach and all that is one thing. But you know, the centrality of the presence of God 
changes hearts and changes lives. And I want to speak to you this morning about the very presence of God. So we're going back to the book of Exodus, and we're in the life of Moses for a moment. And we're just going to take uh, just a backward step before we get into uh, your first scripture that you have on your handouts this morning, Exodus 23, 32 to 33. Let's put you at a bit of scene, okay? So Moses is at the point in his, in his life where they're becoming encamped around Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai has got some amazing things going on on Mount Sinai. The presence of God is all over Mount Sinai. In fact, the presence of God is on the top of Mount Sinai. There is lightning, there's thunder, there's smoke. This, the, the, this is such a powerful mountain at this point in time that Moses is telling the people, if you even take your cattle to the mountain and the cattle sets foot on the mountain, the cattle will die. This is how strong the presence of God was at this moment. And Moses is just about to go up the mountain and receive the law on the tablets of stone. This is where we are. And Moses is speaking to the people and he's speaking to them about their future and their destiny. And in Exodus 19, we read, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, wouldn't you like to be called a special treasure in God's eyes? Okay, so fast forward a couple of chapters And Moses speaks to the people before he goes up to the mountain in Exodus 23. He speaks to them about the enemies that they will encompass on their journey. And God is telling them that as they they encompass the enemy, as they meet the enemies, that slowly but surely God will overcome for them. And that he'll be with them and his presence will go with them. And we come to Exodus 23, 32 to 33. It says, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Just imagine being these people that could see, that just imagine that you could walk out of the church here this morning and you could see a mountain where the presence of God was presiding. You'd have tremendous reassurance, wouldn't you? Okay, we can go to the mountain. The man of God's up the mountain. In fact, when the man of God goes up the mountain, he comes down with a bright suntan. His face was glowing, it says in the scripture, when he'd been in the presence of God. And yet we know by human nature, the people easily forgot as Moses was up the mountain 40 days. And on the 39th day, I suppose, they were going, where's Moses? Has he fallen off the mountain? Has he been struck by lightning? What's happened to this man, our leader? And they turned to Aaron. And they turned to Aaron, who's going to be the future high priest. And they turn to Aaron and they say, Aaron, look, make us another God. And out comes this calf. All the ladies hand in their earrings and their rings. And they, they melt, they smelt down this metal. And boo, out comes a golden calf. And then they've got another God to worship. That's absolutely crazy when the presence of God is just right over there on the mountain. And, you know, sometimes we're looking all the time for these symbols and these, this, uh, this tangible sense of the presence of God. But all the time, the presence of God is here with us in this church, in our hearts and in our lives. And that's what I want to get to with the ever-decreasing circles. Have you ever... Uh, thought about the fact that you and I, in God's eyes, I mean, we are saints. I hate to tell it to you, but when you came through the door this morning, there was a halo on your head. We are saintly. Now, that doesn't mean that you are perfect. But Paul, as he writes to the Ephesians, he says, to all the saints in Ephesus. He describes them as saints, not because that they are perfect, and not because anything that they have ever done has warranted being called a saint. I mean, like Pastor Darrell's almost saintly, but he's not quite there. (laughs) He's almost there. We polish his halo a bit more. He's on the edge. But I'm telling you, 
that there's not many people, and I say to my church, if you think you're saintly when you come to my church, you are in the wrong church. But if you think that when you come through the doors of this place, that the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ makes you a saint in the Father's eyes, then you're in the right place. So we are saints in contract. Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1, 1 to 6. Greeting, he says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and without blame before him. Let's stop there. Holy and without blame. You are not holy because of anything that you do. But you are holy and without blame because the Father looked into your life and chose you, predestined you, adopted you into his family. And the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ was imputed, given to you like a cloak that you wear over your shoulders. That you walk into your church. I am a saint in the kingdom. Hallelujah. Now then, let's not carry that too far. Because there's too many Christians in the Western world walking around acting like saints in church and living like sinners in the world. And the reality is that Jesus has something to say to us about that. There's a lot in the scripture. So I want to tell you that you are saints, but you are saints with some small print. You are saints in contract. You are contractually, if you know Jesus, you are under a contractual um, agreement with the Lord Jesus Christ that he gave to you that says, you know, all of my righteousness I give to you, all of, my, all of your sin I take from you. And that gives me a whole new lease of life. I live my life completely differently when that happens. In the Old Testament, in the, in the, uh, the covenant made with Abraham and the people, and then through to the Mosaic covenant, which is where we're reading from this morning, in those covenants, they were what we call conditional covenants. They were covenants that were conditional upon, if you will go to the, be my people, if you will worship me in this way, if you'll go to that place, if you'll go where I send you. There was conditions upon their behavior. And if you look at this scripture that we've read this morning, it says, don't make covenants with the other gods. Don't make covenants with other things in your life that distract you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't dwell in their land. Don't put your foot just a little bit into that world of sin or a little bit into that wrong relationship. So, so much so that it binds you in a covenant and that covenant holds you. And then the scripture says to me, because if you do that, it will ensnare you, entrap you. And you know exactly what I mean because we're all humans and we're all real. We are saints in God's eyes, but if we get into the wrong stuff, I tell you, in the wrong relationship, wrong things with our money, going to the wrong places, hanging with the wrong people, uh, you know, that sinful pattern creeps in so easily. And then before you know it, you say, I want to get out of the door, but I'm trapped behind because the door is shut. That's a snare. And Satan specializes in snaring people. God specializes in setting people free. Exodus 23, 32 to 30. Think about it for just a moment. Moses had such a tremendous privilege. He, he communed with God. He spoke with God. And the, and the people weren't very far from the action. They were pretty close to the action. They could see what was going on. And still doubt set in. And still a wandering heart set in. And so we are saints in contract. Conditional covenants, we're not under that. We are under a new covenant. The new covenant that comes through, the Davidic covenant that runs through from the Old Testament through to the line of Jesus Christ brings us into an unconditional grace covenant 
when you come through the doors of this church in every campus this morning, there is an unconditional grace poured out upon your shoulders, poured out and running down over your head. That unconditional grace that says, we love you as you are. We don't want you to stay where you are. We want you to walk into all that God has for you. That is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is fully inclusive and fully hope-filled and fully grace-saturated. But it doesn't say, bring all your old gods into the walk with Jesus. It says, leave them at the door. Don't let them ensnare you. And we're under that unconditional covenant. It's the only reason that I this morning, that you this morning can say we're a saint. So when some of these holy Christians walk around floating from church to church, pretending to be the most saintly people in the world, you just give them a little tap. Because it's not the case. Oh, do we not give, we, not, we don't kick people here. Okay, okay. Okay, we're not going to do that. We're not going to go there with that one. <laughs> I'll tell you a little story. So, so one of my pastimes, so I like to do two things when I'm relaxing. I'm going off the point here. We'll come back. Two things when I'm relaxing. One, I like to ride motorcycles. And two, I like to do karate. And so I'm a, I'm a black belt. And we go, we take the, some of the guys in the church. We do it together. And uh, a guy over the road's a policeman. And we had some petty theft in our area just a few weeks ago. Someone had been, like, stealing sat-navs from cars. And, and this guy said to me, look, we'll set up a WhatsApp group. And if I see anything going on on my CCTV in the middle of the night, I'll send you a text. Well, I thought it was never going to happen. A few nights before we came here, I got a text in the middle of the night. They're on the street, John. Are you coming? I was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I didn't think this one through. So this guy was young, fit. He had a satchel on his back. He was loading it up with stuff that he was robbing from cars that had been left open on the street. Crazy. Why leave your cars open? Anyway, so, so, so we ran out, and I shouted at this guy, you better run, my friend, because he... And he ran, right? And he ran faster than me. So I'm thinking, go, go, go. Well, at this point, Matt over the road had come out in his boxer shorts. So Matt was in his boxer shorts and his T-shirt. And I'd managed to get some joggers on. And we were running down the street. But our, our estate opens up to a big green. And I'm thinking, when he gets to the green, two things are going to happen. One, I'm either going to catch him up and then panic what to do. Or two, he's going to sprint off away from me. And all I could think as I was running was the headlines, local Elon pastor tackles tackles criminal, puts him in hospital or stabbed or something like that. I don't know what it is. And I'm thinking, come on, come on. So I'm thinking, please be able to run faster than me. Thankfully, he ran faster than me. And he vaulted a fence at the end of the green. And that was the end of him. I was like, Matt, let's leave it. Let's leave it. We'll let him get away. It's okay. So where were we there? Where was I? Um, so yeah, uh, <laughs> destructive subcontracts. Here we go. Second point, destructive subcontracts. You know, in your life, there is the covenant over your life that is the grace-filled, abundant covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the reality is that our lives are full of compartments. There's your church life, there's your family life, there's your children, there's your finances, there's your career. And we very often compartmentalize our life so that we say, if we get God right in these two sections, I'll deal with this section later. And you know, don't you, that God wants to be through in, in every area and part of your life. It's called whole life discipleship. And if you're new to faith and you're working that out and you're thinking, yeah, there is this area that, that I've not yet given to God, the area of my finance or my, my relationship or something like that. I'll tell you that when you give every area to God, the ship floats. But like the Titanic, when one area is breached, it only takes one area to be breached and the hole starts to flood and down it goes. Now then. 
That's challenging, I understand, because we can all make destructive subcontracts in our life. We can all, unbeknown, yield a certain area, a certain thing in our life, and we just think we'll tackle that later. We'll bring it out into the light later. And it becomes a destructive subcontract. And Christians so often work on the basis that I have this kind of insurance plan over my life. I've got this grace-filled insurance plan. I'm going to heaven, yay. But what about these other things here that I'm making sub-deals with in my life? So in our campus at the moment, we've just been looking to, to lease our first building. Just before I came away, I found out that we'd lost the lease on it. And the reason we lost it was because the whole, it was in a unit, like a retail unit in a whole section. And there was a head lease. The head lease covered the whole property. And then there were subleases underneath the head lease. And Christians work like this. Okay, there's a head lease. It's my insurance plan. It's Jesus Christ. I know I'm going to heaven. I know he'll never let me down. But I'm going to subcontract this lease out of it in this area of my life. And I want to tell you, friends, if you're to walk in whole life discipleship and whole life mission, the one thing that will make you, this church, the most influential within the community will be when every single person lives under the head lease and the subcontracts are gone. And you go out, and it doesn't matter how you sing and shout on the, on, the sheet, on the streets. It doesn't matter. It matters when you have that conversation and somebody looks into your life and knows that Jesus comes first. And when they know Jesus comes first, they go, ha, ah, that's attractive to me. And they follow you, and they walk with you, and they might come to church with you, and here they'll meet Jesus. Amazing. Okay, so that was point number two. How are we doing? So destructive subcontracts. Point number three. How about this picture? Have we got... Uh, the title slide, Ever Decreasing Circles, guys. Can you just put that one on for me? Yeah. On the title slide of here, I had some circles that were coming down, and, and you, you know that saying, Ever Decreasing Circles, so you, you throw a... There we go. There it is. Okay, so I asked our graphics guy at church to do that. I have no idea what he's done. Let's have a look. So you've got the circular, the circular way here, okay? Okay, so you throw a, a, a stone into a pond, and the ripples go out, and it's like that Ever Decreasing Circles concept. Now then... I think when it comes to the presence of God in the room, which is where we started, and this is where we're going to begin to wrap it together, we come to the presence of God in the room, and we have, for many, many years, um, as Christians, really had to reframe our theology about the presence of God and our spirituality. In fact, Paul Scanlon touched on it this week. It was touched on by Wayne Alcorn in the conference a couple of times, and I was pleased when I heard that because... I think so many times we live like the Israelites looking at the mountain. We're waiting for the flash of lightning and the clap of thunder and the, and, and the latest thing here and the latest thing there. And it's like the visible signs. of the. Think about, think about the Israelites for a moment. There was physical signs all around them. There was burning bushes. There was holy ground where you had to take your shoes off. There was thundering mountain. There was pillars of clouds. There was pillars of, fly, of fire. I mean, they had it all going on. They had everything. And yet their hearts wandered. It's phenomenal, isn't it? And so if we treat the presence of God like that, always looking for those symbolic presences. And then it came down to God saying, okay, I need a home. So build me a tabernacle. Let's have a tent. And put some rooms in the tent where my presence would dwell. So much so that if the priest goes in there, it's got to be filled with, filled with smoke and incense. Otherwise, he's going to be overcome by the, the presence of God. And that was the, the tabernacle. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't do tenting. I do hotel rooms. And my wife, my wife has this thing about, John, let's go camping. <laughs> camping? It's like wet. In, it's England, it's wet all the time. Cold, dreary. 
you've got to cook on one ring, like one gas ring. And, and I'm like, not into the idea of camping. But these guys, you know, when they went to the tabernacle, they came out of the tabernacle. And, and there, as they had been in the tabernacle, they knew the presence of God was right there. Right there, right close to them. And yet, hearts still wandered, ever decreasing circles. And then God said, I need a permanent home. Like, put some bricks and mortar on it. Bring some wood into it and some gold and, and, and all these different things. And build me, build me a temple. And so the, perma- the, the transient becomes permanent. And now the people have a permanent symbol of the presence of God. And then we get to that break in time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus breaks in into our world and it's like the hinge of history changes. No longer was God's presence confined to a tabernacle, to a tent, to a symbolic Uh, mountain to anything like that but the presence of God became Emmanuel God with us he walked amongst his people he dwelled amongst his people he closed the gap between humanity and divinity and he came right down and there he is on earth so much so that even the very people around him nailed him to a cross the present God himself they spat on him they whipped him they beat him they crucified him And they mistreated him. But it was the Father's plan. Maybe you came to church this morning and you're thinking, okay, church is one thing. But there's a Father in heaven who sent his Son the most costly possession that he had. To die upon a cross in the most awful, tragic way. And think of a father looking in. And then to rise again three days later. And as he did, defeated the power of sin and death so that you can be called a saint. Now that puts a cost on my faith. I don't just come to church and do what I want and be what I want and live how I want because the cost that Jesus paid was immense. We're almost into the center of the circle, but we're one out. We're almost there. Jesus came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. And when things When God comes near, things get holy. Just say that with me. When God comes near, things get holy. When God comes near, things get holy. And that's right. It's in the church. When the presence of God comes close, things get holy. People talked with God, Jesus. People communed with him. They learned from him. They were discipled by him. And then we go one step further right into the center. Jesus ascends from the earth, and the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit now comes and dwells in every single believer. We've gone from visible signs to tabernacles to tents to the presence of God with us, Emmanuel, to a body that was walking around. But Jesus was confined to his earthly body. His presence could only be in one place at one time. And now the Spirit says, let's do this. Let's go wide with this. To New Zealand and to England and to Africa and to India and to China and all over the world where the people of God go, the presence of God goes. And so the God that I'm worshipping at home is no different to the way that the Spirit works here. You know, I'd want to tell you that that just empowers me in my walk because when the presence of God comes near, things get what? Holy. And the church, some, uh, some points around our world have been living like the presence of God comes and things get exciting. 
things feel good. We sing more, we clap more, we receive more. But I want to tell you, when the presence of God comes near, things change in your life. Things get holy. It burns up the dross. If you are a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the presence of God comes near, things get holy. So I want to ask you a question. Is there anybody here in this room this morning? Maybe you've been around church. Maybe you get church, like different expressions of church. But, but this is the first time you might have heard what I'm calling a gospel message. Where I'm telling you that the man Jesus broke into our world. And the whole door on the hinge of history swung wide open. Wide open so that you here in Pukki this morning and at home in Chorley, in my church this morning, in Manchester, at Botany, in India, in Africa, all the door is open wide for all that would come and would receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you say this, well, you know what, John, I've got too many of those subcontracts that you're talking about. There's too many areas of my life. I don't want to tell you what God says about that. That doesn't matter before him. Because your righteousness is imputed through him. It's nothing that you do. Now in the fullness of time, those things are going to come into line with God's teaching and God's word. But you've got to read it to know it and understand it. But before all of that comes that moment where you say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that when you rose again, you broke the power of death and sin. And and my sin was forgiven. And that I could walk as a saint on this planet. Now then, is there anybody here this morning that says, I want to make that decision to follow this Jesus this morning? Would you bow your heads? Would you bow your heads? If that's you just in the quiet and in the, in the moment here, I just want to ask you that question. If you want to meet Jesus today, this will be a pivotal moment over your life. And the moment that that happens, the Holy Spirit that I'm talking about today will come and dwell within you and will completely revolutionize and upturn your life. So if that's you, without responding kind of vocally or anything like that, you could just put your right hand in the air for me. If that's you, just put your hand up. You want to meet Jesus this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just be really... It takes bold people to make this step. This isn't a weak decision. This is a strong decision to meet Jesus. There's a door that is open right now. And if that's you, and you want to walk through that door, you might need to lay some stuff down on the way through. Thank you, sir. Is there anyone else? Any brave ladies in the room? Any men or young people in the room who would say yes to Jesus this morning? Thank you. Just put your hands down. And I'm sure you have a system here in the church where people will make contact with you and Pastor Darrell will tell you how that is going to happen. But it's been a joy to communicate with you this morning. I'm hoping that you think that everybody from Manchester now are not weird, that we're relatively normal. I hope you've enjoyed the word. And let's be encouraged. I think you are poised for amazing things here. So God bless you. and Have a great week. Come on, can we thank Pastor John for a great word this morning. Thank you.